0: Again, it's a joy and a pleasure to be here with you this morning to worship God in spirit and in truth and to be able to open his great and grand book and be able to study from the pages thereof. I'm glad to see that each of you are doing as well as you are and pray that you'll continue uh, to have good health and I hope and pray that you'll have a wonderful Lord's Day today and all will go well. I want to uh, continue our lesson that we started last Sunday morning where we are attempting to basically cover the book of Colossians, wanting to mainly hit the high points. And as I mentioned last week, I would probably title this message, Complete in Christ, Complete in Him. And so that would come uh, primarily from verse uh, 10 of Colossians chapter 2. And so we're going to continue studying Uh, the book of Colossians and uh, we will wrap it up this morning and so Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 the Bible says and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power for those of you who were not here last week I want to go back and just review briefly uh, for you and for those of you who are taking notes I know I was uh, moving on pretty rapidly last week I was Uh, planning on preaching the whole message at one time, but uh, it didn't work out. So I I was traveling quite quickly, but here's a few of the verses that we use and some of the main points uh, just to get you caught up on your notes. If you missed anything, uh, maybe I have it on this brief review. We noticed last week that the book was written by Paul, Colossians 1, verse 1. As a general rule, when Paul wrote a book, he would tell you that he was the one that penned uh, that book. Also, it was written to the church at Colossae. It's always good to know who wrote the book. It's good to know who it was written to. And uh, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, he makes it very clear that it was written to the saints and faithful brethren at Colossae. And Paul wrote this book. It is believed uh, while he was in prison in Rome. And it was about uh, the year 62 AD, somewhere about that, around that time. The purpose of the letter, this is very important. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to refute false teachers at Colossae and, uh, in hopes to shore up the church that was in that area. You remember that Paul also had given instructions that once this letter had been written, read at Colossae, it was to also be passed over to the church in Laodicea and so that they could read it as well. And so it was very common practice in that day that when a congregation would receive a letter then they would uh, send copies at least of that letter to other congregations so they could have that information as well. Remember, at this particular time, no one had the complete written New Testament as we have it today. So remember that as you do these uh, book-by-book studies. Now, there are several places in this book where Paul uh, lets us know that he was very concerned that some of the church members there had been drawn away and he was afraid that perhaps more would and so he knew as well as uh, you know that when false doctrine is being taught the way to combat false doctrine is to make sure everyone knows the truth if they know the truth they're not as likely to be deceived or led away by false doctrine and so you have passages like Colossians one twenty three where we encourage them not to be moved away from the hope of the gospel Colossians 2 verse 4, lest by any means some should uh, beguile you with those enticing words. And Colossians 2 8, he talked about uh, beware lest any man spoil you. And there were several other verses we mentioned last week, but that's just a few of them that let you know that Paul was concerned. He was very concerned about the church at Colossae. You know, Paul also wrote the book to Galatians. and. And the reason why was because there were false teachers that had entered in that area, that region, into those congregations, and they were teaching that the in order to be saved, you had to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised as well as the law, of keeping the law of Christ. And so the whole book of Galatians is written to refute false teachers and to uh, encourage people to stay true uh, to the truth. And so this is just another letter. That with that, those things in mind, just some of the teachings are a little bit different. When you study the book of Colossians, you study about the Colossian heresy, as it's called. You read most of that in, in Colossians chapter 2, where the basic heresy that was being taught was the denial that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Uh, you can imagine the damage it would be done if people were convinced that Jesus Christ is not really the Son of God. Uh, the whole Bible really teaches that he is the Son of God and so you basically have to throw your Bible away but that was the case they were trying to convince people that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God Gnosticism uh, Gnosis is a Greek word that means to know it means knowing ones uh, there were those that were teaching this heresy who were who thought of themselves as being the all knowing ones they, they were those uh, elitists they were the ones that that believed that they knew everything uh, about everything and so uh, but they were very much wrong on this subject they they believed that uh, all flesh was evil and so there was no way that if Jesus Christ being born of Mary could be the Son of God because Jesus Christ was uh, a fleshly body in a fleshly body and so therefore the two just wouldn't go hand in hand because all flesh is evil well the truth is flesh is not evil That's not the problem. Just think about it. Cut your arm off, throw it over there on the floor and see what kind of evil it does. It can't do that. Your flesh, your body is controlled by the mind. The mind is what's evil. The mind is what becomes wicked. It's not your fleshly body. It's the mind that controls the fleshly body and it does things uh, being controlled by the mind that are uh, wicked and sinful but the flesh itself is not sinful but uh, they believed that it was and and so from that developed two extremes one extreme was known as debauchery and that's the idea that well the way to handle this flesh being evil idea is that you just saturate your body with all those fleshly desires you want to commit adultery you want to you want to be drunk, you want to steal, you want to lie, you just just do it, do it to your heart's content, do all of it till you get to the point you just burn yourself out. Well, that's one way to take care of it, they thought, just overindulge until you've had enough. It's like I mentioned last week, this is not probably the best example, but I love fried chicken, but after about five days, I've had enough. I don't want any fried chicken for a while. Well, they kind of had this idea, well, if you your flesh is evil and it wants to sin well you just let it sin and just pile it on and eventually it'll just burn itself out isn't that ridiculous and these are these gnostics these all-knowing ones you know many times it seems like those who have those uh those the idea that they know so much are the ones that really know so little isn't it amazing and then the other extreme was asceticism, which basically, since the flesh is evil, you torture it, you punish it, you make sure it doesn't have anything that it desires. And that's where you have monks and others that would go out in the wilderness and they would le- live in caves and dens, and they wouldn't bathe, they wouldn't they wouldn't take care of themselves, they uh, live celibate lives. they and so anything that the flesh want to do, they would even starve themselves because, well, the flesh would be hungry and so, well, the flesh is evil and the way I'm going to defeat this flesh, I'm not going to feed it. Ridiculous things. You see, that's what extremes are. You don't want to find yourself to an extreme. That's not where you're going to find the truth. And so you had extremes that developed because of that. And so Paul is going to deal with that. Of course, they also in that mixed some Judaism, they, they mixed some of their own uh, man-made traditions and it was just a hodgepodge of false doctrine combined together uh, to come up with the, the things that they were being taught uh, at Colossae by some of these false teachers and also others in the area. So, naturally, if the number one heresy was that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, if Paul's going to refute that, he's going to point out very clearly that Jesus Christ is God, which he does. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he points out that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Also in 15, he points out that Jesus Christ is the firstborn of every creation. And he points out in verse 16 of Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus created all things. Now, how could he create all things and not be God. We can't create anything, only God can. And so, Jesus created all things, and then in Colossians 1, 16, Paul makes the point that he created all things for himself. That can't be said of any man. First of all, we can't create create anything like that, and then we couldn't create things for ourselves. Jesus Christ did. In Colossians 1, verse 17, Paul says that he was before all things. Why? Because he's God. He's eternal. He's, he's always been. There's never been a time when Jesus Christ didn't exist. He didn't exist as Jesus Christ. And at John 1, 1, he existed as the Word. He was still the second person, the Godhead. So he has always existed because he's deity. There's never been a time when he has not existed. He was before all things, and he is the reason all things consist. Even today, Colossians 1:17. Colossians 1:18, Paul points out that he that's Christ is the head of the body, the church. no man is the head of the church of Christ but Christ. no man's qualified. He is the beginning, Colossians 1:18 and he is the firstborn from the dead, Colossians 1:18. He's the first one to die and be raised and never die again. And He is the best of the best, like the first fruit. He has all fullness dwelling in Him, Colossians 1, 19. And He has in Him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, knowledge Colossians 2:3. Paul also points out, that Christ has dwelling in him all the fullness of the Godhead notice this bodily he had been made of flesh and blood body by God for him to tabernacle in and he was all not some of the fullness of the Godhead so you have all the fullness of the Godhead in a human body that without a doubt proves that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's deity. He also was the one who took the old law out of the way, Colossians 2, 14. You remember many had tried to live the old law and to keep it perfectly, but none was able to, to keep it flawlessly. But Jesus Christ did. In order for that law to be completed and to to serve its purpose and to be nailed to the cross, someone had to keep it perfectly. And Christ was able to do that, being tempted at all points, like we, yet without sin. And he, uh, once he died, he was raised from the dead. He spoiled principalities and powers. And he is now the resurrected Christ, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords, Colossians 2.15. So Paul proves without a doubt that Jesus Christ is Deity. And the second point was that the Christian is complete in Christ. Christ is the Christian's completeness. You can't be complete outside of Christ. Those who are living in the world are incomplete. You must be in Christ, Colossians 2.10, to be complete. Why are we complete in Christ? Because in Christ we have our inheritance, Colossians 1.12. We are complete in Christ because, according to Colossians 1.13, our deliverance is in Christ. That's where we are delivered from the power of darkness. And, of course, we're complete in Christ because our translation is in Christ, Colossians 1.13, because God, once we obeyed the gospel, He delivered us from the power of darkness, and He translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. We are complete in Christ because our redemption is in Christ. Our redemption is through the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ is in his body, Colossians 1.14. And then he says it this way, our forgiveness is in Christ, Colossians 1.14. And so our redemption is in Christ. Our forgiveness is in Christ. We are complete in Christ, not outside of Christ. In Christ we have peace. That's what we all want, peace that passes all understanding. That's only enjoyed in Christ, Colossians 1.20. Many people outside of Christ do not know peace. It's in Christ. Our reconciliation is found in Christ, Colossians 1.21. Once we obey the gospel in Christ, we are reconciled back to God. You know Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, it's our sin and our iniquities that separate us from God. And we need to be reconciled because we have been separated because of our wickedness. But once we obey the gospel through the blood of Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, we are reconciled back to Christ. Our transfiguration is in Christ, Colossians 1.22. Each day we are being transformed. We are becoming more and more like Christ. We are being changed into His image. But then also for those that are faithful in christ jesus there's coming a time when you will have a new body a transformed body a spiritual body a body that is like the body that jesus has we don't know all there is to know about that i suppose and there's a lot that's not given us to know the bible says the secret things belong to god the things that reveal belong to us and there are some things he hasn't told us but we know this that when we see him we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is And he will have a glorified body, and so will we. uh, But we must be in Christ Jesus to have that hope, Colossians 1, 23. Outside of Christ, there is no hope. Now, our third point is this. Christ is the Christian's everything. Everything. Again, Colossians 1, 27. Notice. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory... Of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. There is no hope, no hope outside of Christ. Probably two of the saddest words that the mortal ear can hear put together. No hope. Christ is our hope. If, if you don't have hope, you don't have anything. Can you imagine living this life with no hope? No hope at all? Christ came. He lived a sinless life. He died upon the cross. He made a way for us to have hope in Him. He's our everything. Christ is our hope. He is our completeness. As we've already mentioned several times, we are not complete outside of Christ. Colossians 2.10, And ye are complete in Him, which is ahead head of all principalities and power. You're incomplete outside of Him. He's got to be your everything. He's your hope. He's your completeness. He has your life. Colossians 3.3, 3, Paul says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Where else would you want your life to be? Is there anywhere you'd rather your life to be than to be hid with Christ? I want to be hid with Him. I want Him to have my life. He is your life. If you're a faithful Christian today, and He protects your life in the spiritual sense, Uh, Christ is your life. He has your life. He is your life. Look at Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Christ, who is our life. If Christ is your life, he's your everything. He is the one that you live for. He is your main, your main focus in life. Your goal in life is to please Him because He is your life. And without Him, you have no life. So your life is hid with Christ, if you're a Christian, and Christ is your life. Look at Colossians 3.11. Colossians 3.11, notice what Paul says. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew circumcision or uncircumcision barbarian Scythian bond or free but Christ is all and in all This morning I hope that Christ is your all and he is in all he is your all in all when Jesus Christ is your everything he's your all in all He may he's your completeness he has your life he is your life he's your all in all And when Jesus Christ is your everything, you put off the old man and put on the new. Notice what Paul says. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, Paul says, But now ye also put off all these, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man and his deeds. Why had they put off the old man and his deeds? Why had they stopped serving self, Satan, and sin? Because Jesus Christ had become their everything. He was their all in all. He was their life. And so when Christ is your all in all, when he's your everything, when he is your life, then you don't listen to these false teachers that were teaching well you just give your flesh all that it desires you indulge in sin until you burn yourself out and then you'll take care of it no no you don't listen to things like that when christ is your all in all you try to abstain from all sin you don't want anything to do with sin you don't want to continue in sin in romans chapter 6 verse 1 and 2 Paul said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? They had this false idea as well that since they were so covered by grace that they could just live in sin and the more they sinned, the more they gave God the opportunity to exercise his grace. Paul said, God forbid. How could you even think like that? Again, here are some more folks that said, well, let's just continue on living life as always and enjoy the, uh, the pleasures of sin for a season and just let God forgive us and forgive us and forgive us by His grace. Paul says it's not going to work like that. And here he says, if Christ is your all in all, you're not going to listen to these Gnostics. You're not going to practice this debauchery. But you're going to put off the old man. You're going to keep him put off. And you're going to stop doing these evil deeds. But also, he says, you'll put on the new man. When Christ is your everything, when your whole heart is set on pleasing him, he's number one. He has that preeminence that Paul talks about in the book of Colossians, which he rightly deserves because he's deity. And because without him, we are lost without hope and without God in this world. Therefore, you put off the old. It's one thing to put off the old. We're going to talk a little bit about that with Nebuchadnezzar tonight, hopefully, Lord willing. It's one thing to put off the old, which you must do, but you can't just stop there. There's something else that's got to be done. You put on the new. So when Christ is your everything, you put on a new man. You become a new person. As Paul said, you become a new creation or new creature in Christ Jesus. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse uh, 10, 12 through 14, Paul says, And put on the new man. Put off the old, put on the new, which is renewed in knowledge. That knowledge is extremely important. Study your Bible constantly. After the image of him that created him. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of kind uh, mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, longsuffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And so, when Christ is your everything, Paul says to the church at Colossae, when he's your everything, you put off your old man and you put on a new. But also, Paul wants them to know that when Christ is your everything, improvements are enjoyed in relationships. Just think about how this works. This is of great value to every one of us. When Christ is your everything, automatically, when you put off the old man and you put on the new, your relationship with Christ improves. In Colossians 3.17, Paul said, And whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. In other words, when He is your everything, you're in love with Him. And your heart is set on pleasing Him more than pleasing self or anyone else. And when you are set on pleasing Him because He's your everything, you will only do those things that He has authorized. You won't speak the things that these Gnostics were speaking. You won't practice the things that those people were practicing. You will go to the Word of God. You will go to the New Testament of Jesus Christ. And you will see what pleases Him, what He has authorized you to say, and what He has authorized you to do. And so you'll be sure that your speech is such as is becoming of a Christian, things that will bring glory and honor to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and you will only practice those things that bring glory to Him. And when you start living to please Christ, immediately your relationship with Him improves. When you see Him as your all-in-all. Notice what else. Wives, when you see your husbands, when you see Jesus Christ as your everything, it will improve your marriage. Your relationship with your husband will improve When you see Jesus Christ, not your husband, but when you see Jesus Christ as your everything. Oh, I know it's not easy to submit to some man. It's not really that easy to submit to anyone unless it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're all imperfect people. It's hard to submit to someone that you may think that you are smarter than he or... You know things he doesn't know, or you're better than him. Whatever the case may be, but i tell you what. When you're trying to please Jesus Christ with all of your being, when he is your everything, wives, you'll do exactly what Paul mentions here in Colossians 3.18 where he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Notice this. As it is fit in the Lord. Why do you submit to him? Because it's fit in the Lord. Why, why does that matter? Because Jesus Christ has become your everything. You want to please Him. And if pleasing Him means that you submit to your husband, then you submit to your husband. And i tell you something else. When a godly woman submits to her husband, it makes that marriage better. But man, He didn't leave us out either. You see, when Jesus Christ is our everything... Notice what he says in Colossians 3, 19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. You see, when Jesus Christ is our everything, he has commanded us to love our wives. So much so, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says we are to love our wives as he loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious... Body, not church, not having spot, no wrinkle, nor any such thing. He tells us there to, to love our wives as we love our own selves. Now, husbands, let me tell you this. This look, look what Paul's saying here. When you love Jesus Christ to the point he is your life, he is your everything, he's your all in all. You are complete in him. When you love him to that point you and you reach that, then you want to please him so much so that you want to love your wife like he loved the church. Now I tell you something, when you love her like Christ loved the church, she's not going to have any problems submitting to you. No. When she sees that Jesus Christ is your life and you love her like that, She will be more than happy to submit to whatever you say as long as it pleases Jesus Christ. What's Paul saying? He's saying when Jesus Christ is your everything, it improves your relationships. So he talks about the husband-wife relationship, and then guess what? He moves to the children. Listen, children. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 when Jesus Christ is your everything, you'll obey your parents. It's just that simple. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is well-pleasing uh, of your parents and all things. For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Why? Why do you want to obey your parents in everything? Because it pleases the Lord. And the Lord is your all in all. He's your everything your life you want to please him more than anything else in this world and it pleases him when you obey your parents now if you have children that are like that and those children love the Lord so much so that they want to please the Lord they also obey you isn't that wonderful you see how just that alone makes that child parent relationship so nice Because you know when that child leaves your home that that child has its number one focus on pleasing Jesus Christ. Not you, not dad, but Jesus Christ. And that child knows that Jesus sees everything. He doesn't stop with the children though. Fathers, in Colossians 3 verse 21... Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Listen, when fathers, when you have Jesus Christ as your everything, He's your all in all, you will pay close attention to how you treat and train your children. You'll be careful not to provoke them to anger. When you do that, you can discourage them. You can break their little spirits. You can cause them great grief and trouble, and you as well in the long run. But like Paul said over in Ephesians chapter 6, that we train our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord when Jesus Christ is your all in all. When your goal is to please Him, you know that it pleases Him for you to train your children to take that time each day of the week to sit down with your children to break out this grand old book. Take the time to study with your children. Teach them the Word of God. Take their little hands. Every time you sit down at the table and you pray, you give thanks for everything you eat, you talk to them all the time during the day about the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend time with your children, love your children, train your children. And you'll do that when you realize that that pleases God and Christ is your all in all. He even talks about the servants. In that day, they still had slaves. And, of course, they had masters. And so he says to them, and some of them were members of the church, in Colossians 3, verse 22 through 24, he says... Servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as man pleasers, but in singleness of heart. Look at this, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, notice, as to the Lord, and not unto man, men. Knowing that the Lord, that uh, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. I wouldn't want to be a slave. I don't guess anybody would really want to be a slave. But you know how you are able to endure? You may even have a master that does not like you. He he may not be nice to you. He may be ugly. He may be unkind. He may uh, mistreat you. But you know how how you would serve that master? You would serve him with Jesus Christ in view. Because he's told me to. Same thing today. If you are an employee... You're not a slave, per se, but you owe your employer a service. And you don't just give that service when the boss comes around because you're serving him the way that you would serve the Lord Jesus Christ if he was your master, if he was your boss. And so naturally... When Jesus Christ is your everything and you serve your employer or if you were a slave, you serve your master as though you were serving the Lord Jesus Christ, that relationship would have to get some better, wouldn't it? And so then he talks to the masters. In Colossians 4 verse 1 he says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. When that master... has Jesus Christ as his everything he's not going to mistreat his servants no he's going to give them what's just and fair because Jesus Christ is his all in all you can take all your relationships and I promise you when Jesus Christ is your everything your relationship will get better unless it's with someone who is an ungodly rebellious person that hates God that's why Paul said, "It live peacefully with all men as much as is possible. It's not always possible. But relationships are improved when Jesus Christ becomes our everything. So then, Paul says, if you've been buried and raised with Christ, you have been forgiven of all your sins. Those folks needed to hear that to combat the false teachings that they were receiving. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, Paul said, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and uh, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Basically, what he's saying is this when you buried with him in baptism, and when you as Christians were buried with him in baptism, God performed an operation. He circumcised you. In other words, he cut off that old man of sin so that you could do as Paul said in Colossians 3 you could put on the new man. So you left the old man with all of his deeds buried beneath the waters of baptism. Simply put, when you were baptized, you were forgiven of all your sins. When you came up out of that water, you did not have one single sin put to your account. And if you're walking in the light right now, you still don't have a single sin put to your account. If you have been raised with Christ, Paul points out that you are to keep your focus on heavenly things. Listen to what he said to those folks. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. If you then be risen with Christ... After being baptized, you're raised with him to walk in units of life. He says, Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. You know where we fall short? You know where we, we go astray? It's when we take our eyes off of things above. When we start looking at ourselves, our wants, our desires, our likes... When we start looking at what's going on around us and all the things that are here to, to tempt us and to trouble us. And we lose sight of what we've been promised when this life is over. That's why he says, Set your affection, set your mind on things above. Hebrews 12, verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If he's your all in all, don't take your eyes off of him. Don't lose focus. Don't get focused on things on this earth because you'll lose your focus on Jesus. Man is complete in Christ. Not in Judaism. Not in Greek philosophy. Not in traditions of men. Gnosticism, asceticism atheism, worshiping of angels, Catholicism, denominationalism, humanism, or anything else. We're only completing Christ Jesus. You can't find it anywhere else. Do not let anyone deceive you and lead you away from Christ as was be done to some of those at Colossae and, and Laodicea and other places in the first century. Don't be led away from His gospel and he will present you one day holy, unblameable, and unreprovable, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, where he says, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If, notice this, big word, two letters, if ye continue in the faith. What these... uh, Heretics were teaching was not the faith. You've got to continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. In Christ, your hope is waiting for you in heaven. Paul started out his letter, Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, reminding them of that fact. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. There will be those in our lifetimes who will try to persuade us to believe things that are not of God why wouldn't that be the case that has always been the case throughout the ages you remember when Paul was writing to Timothy in 2nd Timothy chapter 4 he said to him in verse 2 preach the word be instant in season out of season reprove, rebuke and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Don't fall asleep. Don't take your eyes off the gold. Don't trust just anything or anyone. We need to learn from this powerful little epistle of four chapters, that we need to be careful that we do not let anyone move us, beguile us, spoil us, lead us away from the truth that we know. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to become one this morning by doing the same thing that those people at Colossians... Colossi had to do and and all others that is believing with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God the very thing that they were uh, those false teachers was trying to push in that area was that Jesus Christ is not the son of God you can't believe that you got to believe that he is the son of God you remember on numerous occasions even God spoke from heaven and said that Jesus Christ was his beloved son in whom he is well pleased Matthew 17 it Uh, Mount Transfiguration even at the time when Jesus was baptized uh, the voice from heaven was heard saying that Jesus Christ was the Son of God it was proven over and over again that Jesus is indeed the Son of God you've got to believe that with all your heart you can't be saved you've got to repent of all your sins because Jesus said so uh, Luke 13 3 on the day of Pentecost when those People said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were told to repent, Acts 2:38. And then you must confess that Jesus Christ is Son of God if you want Him to confess you before the Father uh, on that uh, final day when you stand in judgment, uh, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. And then you must be baptized to be saved, Mark 16, 16. You could say to have your sins washed away, Acts 22:16, 16, or to have your sins remitted. It's said so many different ways. Acts 2.38. You just can't get around it. Baptism is essential to salvation. And then when you're baptized, you put off the old man, Colossians 3, and you put on the new, and you walk in newness of life, Romans chapter 6. If you're here and we can assist you in any way, won't you come? Us together, we stand and sing.